World Series in a century or so. So what? They're here. Every April, they're here. The 105 or 705, there is a game. If it gets rained out, guess what? They make it up to you. Does anyone else in your life do that? It's time for Hit and Run. Don't try to strike everybody out. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascists. Throw some ground balls. It's more democratic. Cubs and White Sox conversation every Sunday morning till Cubs first pitch. Any bet against my Sox this series is a sucker bet. Of course, I'm not a gambling man. Hosted by Matt Spiegel. I want the absolute truth here. Are you 100%? Yeah, well, about something like that you better you want to make this team connecting with you the baseball fanatic there's no crying in baseball no crying hit and run on sports radio 670 the score 670 the score.com and the radio.com app good morning to you baseball fans what's happening on a sunday morning right here in chicago which seems to be determined to have nice weather today that may last for more than 90 minutes. There was a point yesterday where it was 80 degrees in Oak Park and 56 degrees in Highland Park. Like what? Yes, yes, yes. This is uh this is this is our town. It's spring though and eventually we will level off into something resembling uh consistent excellent baseball weather. White Sox got in a complete game for Lucas Giolito that was five innings long. After a three-hour rain delay, they went ahead and called it. I saw it as the first complete game for the White Sox. My guy Bruce Levine uh, tweeted it. I think 386 games, first in 386 games, that it's a complete game. But can we really call that a complete game? We can call it continued excellence from Lucas Giolito and his transformation, his evolution, is where we're going to start in earnest in a minute or two. The Cubs lose last night in Washington. Steven Strasburg, they cannot solve. John Lester with the rare bad one. Ten hits given up for John Lester after an incredible run. Since last August, Lester had had an ERA under 1.5. It, it, during a time here when a lot of folks were saying, well, you know, he's, he's going to be... Uh, He's going to be falling off here, and certainly his stuff has fallen off. He's not a stuff guy anymore. As I move my bag and step away from the microphone for a second, it's live radio, and we don't mind. Zach Withers is my producer on the other side. As we are missing Eli Hershkovich, goodbye, Eli. He's gone. Maybe some of you were tired of the incessant goodbyes to Eli Hershkovich that were happening on every show and in every time slot. It's over, so I'll never mention his name again. How dare he leave? Zach Withers is with me, and we're going to have some fun talking baseball. Um, So the Cubs lose last night to the Nationals, have lost three out of four, including those two two ugly ones, frankly, in in terms of the way they've finished in Cincinnati. But uh, guess what? The Brewers have lost a couple in a row as well. Freddie Freeman with the walk-off against Josh Hader last night for the Braves against the Brewers. And the Brewers are still a game and a half back of the Cubs in the uh, wildly competitive National League Central with four teams over 500. And the bad team, the Reds, has the best pitching staff in baseball, or at least the best ERA in baseball. It's a, a much, uh, much, much more accurate way to put it. I wouldn't call them the best pitching staff, but I'd say that so far they have the best ERA. 
The news out of the Cubs game that we will talk about, of course, is Joe Madden's putting the game under protest in the ninth inning, which is a a long, a long road to go to have Carl Edwards' back. That's what that was last night. So we'll explain along the way. Your texts and your phone calls are not merely welcome. They are elemental to the completion of the broadcast. You can text us at 67011. You can call us, and I say us, I mean me, at 312-644-6767 to talk Cubs, Sox, national baseball stuff, whatever is on your brain. Bob Vorwald is the director of production for WGN Television. And Bob has been in charge of Cubs television broadcasts and White Sox television broadcasts on WGN for a number of years, working with both broadcast tandems, multiple broadcasters in terms of, uh, you know, who's been there through the years and Hawk and Jason Benetti, of course, for the Sox. And we're going to talk about TV and baseball, baseball on TV from a lot of different angles. And that's going to be at 10 o'clock. Bob will be in the studio from 10 till sometime in the 11 o'clock hour, and he'll be my guest co-host. And that means you can call and talk with Bob and with me about baseball on TV, stuff that bothers you about the games that you watch on TV, stuff that you love, questions about the inner workings of, uh, of the broadcast and, and what happens. I've got a lot of things I want to discuss with him, a lot of angles to get to, and I know there are some stories that Bob has about some memorable events that uh, that I'm really looking forward to. I've been digging around talking to some of his colleagues to to get, to get ready and and know exactly uh, where to take the conversation in part. Our guy Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago, will join us at 9:45, as he always does with nuggets on the Cubs and the White Sox from the week. You can tweet me at Matt Spiegel 670 as well. All right, so Lucas Giolito stays on his role. He has found something very real and very tangible in pitch selection and execution. Okay, very, and I want to make sure that everybody understands what's going on. You will read about his comfort level, his confidence, his poise. You will hear about his mechanics and his delivery as well. And all of that stuff matters. Here's Rick Renteria after the game yesterday on Giolito doesn't get flustered very much under control of, of his emotions a lot of things that i know he was uh, working through last year and again with the change of his arm swing his ability to repeat and execute uh along with another year under his belt in the big leagues you know and being able to just uh you know trust himself so you'll hear about a lot of different stuff you'll read perhaps um in the athletic today from james fegan about his off-season work that he did with his high school pitching coach and that high school pitching coach at Harvard-Westlake out in California had three first-round draft picks on his pitching staff, including Jack Flaherty, the excellent young pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. So he worked a lot with him, simplified the delivery, went to uh, essentially a slide step, and it, it's been much, much more consistent and easier for him to control. So you'll read about that. You'll hear about that. And it matters. Of course, it all matters. And you will hear abstract stuff from Lucas himself about, uh, you know, the mindset that it takes to get through a game when you don't quite have your best stuff. Here's Giolito after the game yesterday. 
This was uh, probably my first start this year where I would consider it like a grinder. I didn't have my best stuff coming in. The first few innings kind of grinding through, throwing a lot of fastballs. Off-speed stuff wasn't working great, but able to make pitches, get out of situations, stay under control. And uh, yeah, so I, I was happy with this one because I didn't have my best stuff in the beginning. And I was able to, to get through it, only give up that one run and uh, have a solid one. Being a successful pitcher in MLB is so complex and demands so many different disciplines all coming together at the same time, including the mental side, which is massive and knowing on a given day, what you have, what you don't have, how to adjust, etc. But I want to make sure everybody understands about the specific changes that have been going on with his pitch usage and his game plan really through the 17th of April, even with all these changes that he made in the off season, all the work that he's done, getting through all of last year with more than 30 starts, ending with the worst ERA in baseball, but he was healthy all year long, and he got through the year, learned some stuff, even with everything. Through the 17th of April, he was still throwing a very wide mix of pitches. A lot of sliders, a lot of cutters, curveballs, and especially those sliders and the cutters that are like somewhere between, I don't know, 82 and 88 miles per hour, mid-speed stuff, if you will, that people can destroy if they're, say, just a touch late thinking fastball. When he, um, he went down on the 17th of April, after the 17th of April, had a couple weeks off because of a minor injury, returns on May 2nd after a couple weeks off, and he starts to lean more on his four-seam fastball and his changeup. That's one outing on the second. On May 7th is the breakthrough. Let's point to May 7th when he goes seven and a third shutout innings. I believe they were shutout innings. But either way, he threw 105 pitches. Do you know how many pitches were not fastball or changeup out of 105 that day? The answer is four. He threw four pitches that were not either four-seam fastball or changeup. He has a terrific Four-seam fastball, not the two-seamer. The two-seamer has some sink to it and some movement to it. Called a, they call it a sinker, essentially. You know, your, your pitch FX or your, you know, whatever you're looking at as you log pitches might be calling it a sinker. It's a sinking fastball. The four-seamer is the one that people say is a rising fastball. It's not a rising fastball. Fastballs don't rise. What they do measure is something called carry. And carry is big. Here's what carry is, Okay. Carry is the, the lack of drop. So when you are a hitter and you're up there and you see the fastball coming to you, you're expecting it. Your eye and your body and your instincts of a lifelong baseball work has expected you. You're expecting that ball to just drop a little bit. Fastballs with elite carry drop less than other fastballs. Get me? And it's, it's the high spin rate. Uh, that that leads to it, and oftentimes you'll hear it like James McCann talked about his fastball yesterday. Said it had a little extra giddy up, right? You've heard about that, where the fastball is a little giddy up there. It, it seems to move up a little bit. It doesn't move up. It just doesn't drop, and that's that's the same thing to a pitcher's eye. Justin Verlander has a very high velocity fastball and a high spin rate and a very good carry. Therefore, so Verlander's fastball is the one you want. Okay. Blake Snell is up there in terms of carry. 
Uh, Kershaw has always been up there among the leaders in terms of carry, the lack of drop of the four-seam fastball. A lot of guys in Houston, Garrett Cole, others. It's why Trevor Bauer has made jokes about the Astros and the sticky stuff uh, over the last couple years. Lucas Giolito is, before yesterday anyway, number 11 in all of baseball in terms of carry. Every pitcher, every single one, he is elite in terms of the carry of his four-seam fastball. And when his four-seam fastball does that, which he can do with frequency now, and maybe the new mechanics are helping, they must be, it becomes a swing and miss pitch. Guys swing underneath it, that high heat that they swing underneath. It happens more for Giolito and Verlander and Kershaw and these other guys I'm talking about because their fastball doesn't drop. So number 11 is Giolito. The best Cub, by the way, if you're curious, is Tyler Chatwood at number 70 in terms of the carry of his four-seam fastball. But So what Giolito is doing now is only throwing pretty much that fastball and the changeup, one or the other, and the pitcher, the hitters cannot get used to it. He has stuck with this. Yesterday, I broke down the start yesterday. He threw one curve in each of the first two innings. Threw one slider in the second inning. In the third inning, he threw one curve and one slider to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He threw one curve and one slider to Justin Smoke in the fourth. He threw one slider to Randall Gritchick in the fourth. That's it. Eight curves or sliders through four innings. And you know what he had to do in the fifth? In the fifth, it was raining. It was raining, and it was incredibly obvious that this game was going to get delayed and perhaps called. And Giolito had to make it official. You got to get through that fifth inning and make it an official game. And perhaps you could end up with the win, the complete game, and the finish. So what did he do in the fifth inning? Yesterday, rain coming down. You got to hustle. Hit your spots. Don't mess around. Give them the best you got. First batter, Urena. Three fastballs. Got him one-two. And then a changeup for called strike three. Luke Mail. Fastball, changeup, fastball at 96 for a swinging strike three. Billy McKinney, three fastballs, got the count at one, two. And then this is the final pitch to Billy McKinney. One ball and two strikes. He got him. A changeup through the deluge. And the celebration is on in the concourse. Lucas Giolito, the rain man. 11 pitches struck out the side. Nothing but fastball and changeup. Awesome. This is everything coming together for a pitcher at the same time. And he's still, what, 24? He was at one point the best pitching prospect in baseball. He struggled mightily in Washington, struggled here when he got here, has talked to a wide variety of people. Danny Farquhar, the reliever last year, was a guy saying, You should be throwing the four seamer. You have great carry. And he's like, What? What are you talking about? Farquhar knew because he was in Tampa. And in Tampa, where the analytics is everywhere and they communicate it like crazy, Farquhar got into it. So he learned. And the White Sox have been heavily involved in this, uh, this year in getting him to throw that four seamer. So he is fastball that seems to rise, and change up, which looks like that fastball, and then drops and is much slower. And that's pretty much all he's doing. And guess what? It's all he needs. Sandy Koufax was fastball curve. That's it. Doc Gooden was mostly fastball curve. Clemens, uh, until he learned the split finger, 
And got on the roids, too, was fastball curve. I mean, th- there have been a lot of guys who are two-pitch pitchers. As long as they look the same, you can do it. Well, Giolito is now a fastball changeup guy. Maybe that's all he'll need. All right, I know that's a little nerdy. It's a little geeky to get kind of into it that far, but I want you to understand what you're seeing. So it all counts, the poise development, the, the, the confidence, the comfort level. Very much the mechanics, the ability to repeat his delivery, all of that. But, oh, by the way, he's figured out which of his pitches are most difficult to hit. And he's concentrating on them and simplifying. He's not throwing the stuff that's not as good. Just because you have a slider and a cutter and a sinking fastball doesn't mean you have to throw it. You hear that, you Darvish? Figure out what works and focus on it. Build around it. This uh, Lucas Giolito development and evolution is very, very real, and uh, I think it's going to continue as long as he stays healthy, as long as he's able to continue those mechanics. And if, if batters you know, learn to adjust and they find some way to deal with this, they lay off that high fastball, which is incredibly difficult, well, then he can start to incorporate some of the other pitches. You know, Find something that works, and he has. Reynaldo Lopez going today for the White Sox. He's actually been pretty good of late, has, uh, has Lopez. And he needs to be because these two are your guys. Lopez, uh, in his last 36 and two-thirds innings, has a 3.19 ERA, 41 strikeouts, and 11 walks. That's over his last six starts. So it's been better. Hopefully you see uh, more of that. And then you can really spend this year knowing that Giolito and Lopez can be rotation pieces. Maybe Dylan Cease by the end of the year. Michael Kopech eventually gets healthy. And the White Sox will have the makings of a, a viable high-end rotation. They'll have to sign somebody in free agency to be their John Lester, to be their guy who uh, stays healthy, shows up every five days. I mean, Lester has, has a remarkable level of health and consistency. And he knew how to win. He got here knowing how to win and help these guys, help the Cubs learn how to win. White Sox need that guy. I don't know who it's going to be. Garrett Cole, you want to overpay and go get Garrett Cole? If you need to, might be the guy to do it. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. It's hit and run right here on 670 The Score. This hour of which is brought to you by Team Hochberg. Visit their new website, 56david.com. That's 56david.com. And this hour is brought to you by Geneva National Resort and Club in Lake Geneva. All right, we'll come back and get to Joe Madden's protest and what that was all about. And uh, Sean Doolittle's entertaining reaction as well. It's hit and run right here on 670 The Score. Welcome back into Hit and Run here on 670 The Score. Chris Kampka coming up in a little bit, and then uh, director of production for WGN-TV, Bob Vorwald at the top of the hour. Crazy stuff last night in Major League Baseball. I guess it's not crazy anymore when Josh Hader gives up a home run. Credit to uh, Bleacher Nation, Brett Taylor over there and his pals at Bleacher Nation, where uh, just put out this chart. Because this is home runs per nine innings in the National League. Josh Hader is number 12, the 12th worst, that is, in home runs per nine innings. He's the only guy on this chart with a positive war, wins above replacement, meaning he's the only like really valuable pitcher on this thing. Uh, Kyle Bearclaw is on here, and Kyle Schwarber appreciates that, uh, and a bunch of, bunch of other 
guys. Andrew Miller's there, but this Andrew Miller that we're seeing now is not the Andrew Miller we once saw. But Josh Hader's there. So you can beat Josh Hader with home runs, not really with anything else. So you can beat him with home runs like Freddie Freeman did last night. And the Brewers losing, as they have the last two nights, helps the Cubs maintain that one-and-a-half game lead in the National League Central. So last night, Lester with the rare bad one. He's been on fire, but he gives up ten hits. The ninth inning is what's making news. Sean Doolittle does what Carl Edwards Jr. was trying to do in the preseason and in Texas. You've seen this before. It's what Kenley Jansen does. Kenley Jansen started doing it because he was imitating Clayton Kershaw. Okay, there's a few pitchers around baseball who do this, where they bring up the leg, they bring it down, and they pause in the middle of their delivery, obviously with nobody on base, and then they finish pitching. And that delay throws off people's timings because sometimes they can vary it. And for some of them, it gives them better control, stuff like that. And Carl Edwards tried to do it, and it was an enormous failure, an embarrassing failure. And everybody pointed to the Cubs like, what are you doing? You should have known in spring training what this was. Really, what was happening is that Carl Edwards Jr. did it one way in spring training. He did it the Jansen way, which is the legal way. And then go back and look at the highlights, if you want, from Texas. Carl was lifting up the leg and putting it down again for a split second. Very clearly, Not just a toe tap. He was like resting the foot and then pitching. That is not legal. That is a balk if anybody's on base. And if nobody's on base, they call that an illegal pitch and they'll just call a ball on you. As Drupal Cabrera and the the Rangers called him on it and, and, and that was that. He stopped doing it. It was part of him being in chaos at the beginning and they sent him down and we all know that. Now he's back and he's not doing it anymore. But that was Carl on opening weekend completely, you know, losing his... Focus, losing his control of his body, losing his, God, his wherewithal. What do we call that when a guy just kind of gets a little confused out there? It's a bad quality for a relief pitcher to have. I can tell you that much. It's the same kind of thing that uh, Jay Cutler had sometimes as he would be scrambling in the pocket. And then he would throw it against his body with horrific mechanics into triple coverage. Because as Mark Tressman once said, Jay just kind of loses himself. Out there. I remember when Tressman said that. I was like, okay, look, we all know Tressman is, you know, a problematic guy, but oh my God, was that correct about Jay, right? And sometimes it's correct about athletes and other sports. Unfortunately, sometimes it's correct about Carl. Just sort of loses himself a little bit. So, anyway, so Carl did that and it was illegal. Sean Doolittle, the Nationals closer, is another guy like Kenley Jansen, like Clayton Kershaw. David Price, I think, does it too, right? And um, there's more. Carter Caps was a guy who did it illegally for a while, and MLB made him change it because he was bringing the foot down. So anyway, Doolittle doesn't usually bring the foot down, but every once in a while he does. If you were watching last night, some pitches he wouldn't. It would just the the foot would come down and hover, and sometimes it would come down and it would very lightly touch the ground. Can't do that. That is absolutely true that you cannot do that. So Joe Madden sees that during warm-ups. Doolittle later said he saw the Cubs watching him during warm-ups. But anyway, Madden saw that. And after one pitch, Madden comes out, argues, talks to the umpires. They get on the headset and they talk to New York. And they say, no, that's legal. That's fine. Joe gets pissed, says he's playing the game under protest. They finish the game. Doolittle gets the save. But the game is under protest. Here's Joe Madden after the game talking about why he did this with Sean Doolittle. Well, I mean, that's exactly what Carl was told he can't do. 
And I was told it's an illegal pitch and he can't do it. So I went up to Sam and I told him that. And he said it's in our judgment. I said, there's no judgment. If he taps the ground, it's an illegal pitch, period. There's no, there's nothing to judge. Uh, you could judge whether he did or not. It's obvious that he did. If you, four of you can't tell that, then there's something absolutely wrong. So that was my argument. And I said, if you guys don't clean it up, I want them to protest the game. So we protested the game. So they're protesting the game. And Sean Doolittle was occasionally touching the ground with his cleat. A texter asked, how long does the foot have to touch the ground? At all. Just just one little bit of uh, of dirt that gets flicked. A little bit of diamond dry that is hovering, you know, that is, that is sitting up tall. Hell of an ant was there, and he built an anthill on the mound, and your foot grazes that anthill, and it, that's an illegal pitch. And through some beautiful close-up videography that we saw last night on the Fox broadcast, you could see at least one pitch that it was absolutely hitting the ground. That's illegal. So Madden is, is right that that is illegal. And he's really what he's doing is he's just trying to have Carl Edwards back. Because the way that it all went down that first weekend, it was embarrassing for the Cubs. It was embarrassing for Carl. And uh, eventually we found out it's, it was Carl's fault. It wasn't the Cubs' fault. But if there's anybody who gets away with it, like Madden was saying, Doolittle does it every once in a while, they shouldn't. And I, I, I completely understand what Joe was doing. Absolutely understand what he was doing. Because the biggest thing about that is having Carl Edwards back. And Carl said exactly that last night. So as you're trying to get through what went down at the beginning of the year, as you're trying to build yourself the most confident, capable relief piece with very good stuff in Carl Edwards that you possibly can, this is part of that process. That's what last night was. Sean Doolittle, who is an entertaining, smart, funny dude, said this about Madden. In that moment, he's not trying to do anything other than rattle me. And it was kind of tired. I don't know. Sometimes he has to remind people how smart he is and how much he pays attention to the game. So he put his stamp on it for sure. <laughs> That's Sean Doolittle on Joe Madden. Man, I love this stuff. It sounds like, like what we used to say about Tony La Russa. Certainly what I used to say about Tony La Russa. Oh, let me remind you. Let me remind you how smart I am. By the way, remember, I used to have a binder before anybody used a binder. I'm Tony La Russa. Well, Joe Madden's that guy now. Everybody's smart, right? Everybody's got binders and stuff like that. But Joe was that guy, uh, you know, Joe likes you to know that he is intelligent. And he is intelligent. Joe likes you to know that he listens to everything, reads everything. Um, I get it. I thought Doolittle was hilarious. And Joe would have a sense of humor about that. He understands because if that was another manager doing it to, to his guy, his guy would probably say the same kind of thing, especially if it was La Russa. <laughs> um, I'm reminded of one time when I uh, was doing a, sh- a show with Madden, you know, when I was um, doing middays, I was doing the, the Tuesday at noon conversations with Joe that Lawrence Holmes gets to do these days and does a very nice job with. And one time we were live in the uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield production studio up, um, uh, up the hallway there or the uh, performance studio, I should say. And so Joe was here and he could see, the texts that we get at 67011. Whenever you guys text the show, it just, it's in a running, running uh, screen. You can see all of them there. 
and I and Joe was looking at. It, he's like, "Oh, that's interesting." So people say stuff, and I said, "Yeah, there's one." And at one point, at one point, a texter had called Joe a hippie blowhard, and I pointed that out to Joe. Oh, yeah, this guy says you're a hippie blowhard. And Madden with a wry smile on his face there during the break. So I'm like, oh, I like that. Hippie blowhard. I like that. He knows what people think he is sometimes. He knows. And he has a sense of humor about it. And it doesn't stop him. Doesn't stop him from being himself and doing his thing. Texter says, Speaks, you cannot make fun of guys with binders. That is true. I have a longtime binder guy. I got binders... Uh, not binders full of women, but I had binders full of head coaching candidates. That's the thing. Remember, I had all the I had folders, is what I had. Not binders, but folders. But people started calling them binders. But that's that's excellent recall from you, sir. So, anyway, as a player, you love that Joe Madden is out there fighting for you. The delay, once again, the delay is not illegal. An actual toe tap, toe tap of any kind is absolutely illegal. What was funny also last night about Doolittle is that when he was doing some warm-up tosses while they were delaying, did you see that he was exaggerating it? He was totally putting his foot down longer than he ever does when he's actually pitching, if he ever does it. And again, I, I think... I think he's genuinely not trying to do that in his delivery because he knows it's illegal. But I think that that umpires have allowed people to every once in a while mess up and just accidentally tap the toe. Not the way Carl was doing it in Texas, which was absurdly obvious when he was out of sorts. And here's for a lot of people asking, here's how the protest process works. If the protest is, is held up, or, or if, if they go with it, if MLB grants the protest, they will have to resume the game from the point where Joe Madden made the protest. So I think that's one pitch into the ninth inning, right? Is that where it was? Or was there one out? It, wherever it was. If, they, if the Cubs win the protest, they have to restart the game from where they were. And obviously that should be at Washington. I don't know how long th- that will take. I don't know how long that process takes. Because it'd be nice if they could say today, oh, by the way, after this game, we're also going to resume the other game because the protest has been granted. But if they look at that, if they look at that film, they should give the Cubs that protest. If they see more pitches after the game or even just the one before the before the protest, I mean, after the protest or the one before that were illegal, then the Cubs should win that. They very well could win that. If not, if Joe uh, effectively gets people to pay more attention to this, that's also a win moving forward. Because they may end up having to fly back to Washington at one point and, like, squeeze in a one-inning game. Have to squeeze in a one-inning game with the Nats to, uh, to, to restart where they left off when that protest took place. But that was entertaining. Oh, by the way, uh, Cubs having some issues offensively. Have you noticed uh, with just a few guys? David Bodie homered last night, but in his last 10 games, his OPS is under 500. Jason Hayward is the one. I looked at the last 15 games for Jason Hayward. How low can the OPS go in the last 15 games for Jason Hayward? Think about how low it could possibly be in your head. Just blurt out a number. Wherever you are, go ahead and say it. So don't do it in your head. Do it out loud. 
A good OPS is 800, let's call. Anything over 800 is very solid. You can survive with a 750, 760, especially if you're either a big-time power hitter or you are a, uh, a good fielder or both or whatever, if you have other assets. Jason Hayward's OPS the last 15 games is under 400. It's low. It's very, very bad. It's like 360. That's a real good on-base percentage. That's a terrible slugging percentage. As an OPS, that's horrific and frightening. Kyle Schwarber's been better. In the month of May, his OPS is in the 700s, and Schwarber had a great game Friday night, including his best at-bat of the year, that 13-pitch at-bat on WGN-TV on Friday night, as a matter of fact. What a tremendous at-bat. On the... uh, uh, on the strike zone, on the screen, you could see where all 13 of those pitches were. Whether they were change-ups or fastballs, it was Kyle Baraclaw. Everything was right there, low and outside to Schwarber. And then he got the fastball in that same spot and took it the other way and bombed it. It was an awesome at-bat. He scored three runs that night because he had a couple walks, too. Had a hit last night also to Kyle Schwarber. But he's the offense from the outfield. He and Albert Almora are your offense from the outfield. If Ben Zobrist does not return, they're going to need an outfield bat. They're going to need one. It's, it's not going to be as, uh, as glaring a need as a bullpen guy, as a swing-and-miss bullpen guy. But if Ben Zobrist does not return, and he might not, by the way, then they will probably want to go out and find themselves an outfield bat. 312-644-6767. Oh, sorry, thank you. 340 OPS for Hayward. Over the last 15 games. This is Al on the northwest side. Al, you're on 670 The Score. What's up, man? What's up? Hey, I don't understand the issue with the length of the game. You either like the game or you don't. I have an 18-year-old nephew who's perfectly content to sit down and watch a three-hour game. But it's not just that. Trying to sterilize the balls and strikes. I mean, come on. Baseball. What do you mean sterilize it? Like to use it with the... uh, uh, Electronic ump? Yeah. It's 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 going to mess up like uh, arguments at home. No, it was a ball. No, it was a strike. But that's not just it. I'm not cheap, but I'm not stupid. I can't spend over fifty dollars for a ticket, ten dollars for a beer, six dollars for a hot dog, and the kicker, Matt. What no, I think the, kick- the kicker? What Al? This is a laundry list of your problems with the game. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> hey, listen, I'm Al, and I got problems. Here they are. <laughs> Bing, bang, boom. Because what? Yeah, but one of these has nothing to do with the other, Al. All right, give me the kicker. What's your kicker? Uh, it, it should be a lighthearted story. That's what a good kicker does. All right, tell Stroop that's what I no, it's the limited TV exposure. They're, they're going to leave the end, correct? No more free TV? Uh, yeah, uh, the Cubs have, are launching their own television network. Everybody knows that. It's called Marquee. They're in bed with a giant corporation called Sinclair. We don't know exactly what that uh, network is going to look like, but we know it will show up on your cable packages. And, you know, it's, it's not going to be the thing where you're like going to be get. I don't think you're going to get something in the mail and you're going to be like, do you want the Cubs network? Click yes or no. Or, you know, I don't think it's going to be that. It's just it's going to be part of your sports package. It's going to be part of your sports package, and your bill will go up just a little bit. And you'll say, wait a minute, I don't want that, or I do want that, if you want to call up and get involved. I assume that's the way it's going to go down. But either way, Al, you gave me like nine things to worry about and address there, and I simply don't have time, okay? You take your laundry list of issues with baseball, and you call Rob Manfred in New York City. You say, Rob, you got thoughts. All right, top of the hour, we'll talk to Bob Vorwald, the director of production 
from WGN-TV. He will be my guest co-host for much of the rest of Hit and Run. But when we come back, the Sultan of Stat, Chris Kampka, will give you nuggets on the White Sox and the Cubs. And no, Texter, there will not be a test on the Lucas Giolito information that I provided in segment one. I'm, I'm just expecting it to be internalized and remembered. It's 670 the score. It is hit and run. The bottom of the hour was brought to you by Northwestern Football. Don't miss your chance to watch Big Ten football at Ryan Field this fall as the number 17 Northwestern Wildcats host Ohio State, Iowa, and more. Season tickets on sale now at NUSports.com. Chris Camp is next here on the score. Welcome back in on Hit and Run here on 670 the score. It is me, Matt Spiegel, here with you, looking through something on the TV broadcast from the other night, something uh, really, really cool that happened that I wanted to uh, want to bring you, and I will bring you sometime in the next couple hours as uh, we get ready to talk to Bob Vorwald at the top of the hour. Looking around at uh, the game a little bit, you can see that the Astros are absolutely on fire, having won now 10 in a row and have the largest lead in any division in all of baseball at eight and a half, a plus 93 run differential, which is uh, about, let's see, is that 16? 16 runs better than the second best team in terms of run differential. That would be the Minnesota Twins. The Tampa Bay Rays are back in first place after beating the Yankees last night. It's amazing how the Yankees are even here. Before yesterday, the Yankees were 22-8 and eight in their last 30 games. 22-8, and eight, even with all those guys hurt. Getting it done. They lose last night, and Tampa is back on top. But the Astros are, are, are the class of MLB right now at 31 and 15. Just about all of your power rankings and such things have the Astros up there at the tippity top. And one of their relievers set a record that should be much more celebrated right now in MLB. And that's Ryan Presley. I don't even know if you know who Ryan Presley is. But you know what Ryan Presley has now done? He has appeared in 39 consecutive games without giving up a run. 39 appearances for Ryan Presley without giving up a run. That's, that's the goal. That's what a reliever is supposed to do. Show up, don't give up run. Okay, thank you. Now, I'm not sure if he's inherited any runners that he's allowed and have not gone on his record. I could check on that because th- that doesn't go on him. But in terms of him himself and what he does, 39 straight times he has come into a game, done his job, and not given up a run. It's amazing. Whether the Astros are, uh, are cheating or not is another question. A bunch of you texters are getting in on that. As I was talking about the carry of Lucas Giolito's fastball, I was mentioning that earlier in the, um, in the show and talking about, you know, what it's done for Giolito and how, how tremendous it has been. Trevor Bauer conducted, it, it, it appears that he conducted a, a spin rate experiment last year. Are you guys hip to this? Because maybe you remember that Bauer said that the Astros were doing something. Everybody goes to Houston and, oh, look at that. Uh, their spin rate increases. Maybe they're using something, something sticky. Because if you use something sticky, 
then you get a better grip on the ball and your fastball could theoretically have a higher spin rate depending on what you use and where you put it and how you hold it and how you learn it, whether it's taught to you or not. Bauer said that that he has melted down pine tar and Coca-Cola and mixed them together before and tried to do that kind of thing. Well, you can check it out. Last year, Trevor Bauer had one inning in Texas, one inning in Texas, where his spin rate was absurdly higher than it was for the entire rest of the year and the entire rest of his career. Like, the chart is hilarious. There's one inning where he, he seemed to be using something. He was asked, were you using something during that inning? He said, no comment. No comment. Pretty funny, man. And I know Bauer can be really annoying, but he's also really, really smart and really unique in how he, uh, how he, how he, he learns pitching, how he thinks pitching, and how he is his own master. Also, we saw a story this morning that the Padres had tried to trade for Trevor Bauer at the beginning of the year. Padres looking for that veteran that they could put in there, and Bauer would be a young veteran, but they could put him in there and uh, have him anchor that pitching staff. Padres, lots of very good, interesting young arms, part of why they've started decently. Come back to the pack a little bit, 3-7 and seven in their last 10, and now 500. It's 670 the score, and here's our guy, Chris Kampka, right now, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. What do you say, Chris? How are you? Good morning. Hey, man. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I, I uh, hope you heard the Giolito stuff from early in the hour. I know, uh, I, I know it, in your heart of hearts, as a, as, as a White Sox fan, you're, you're encouraged by what Giolito is doing. It's pretty amazing. I mean, so in his first eight starts last year, you know, you could do that comparison. But the thing that <laughs> stood out to me, was the fact that in his first eight starts last year, he had no strikeouts on his changeup. And this year, he has 18 of them. Wow. And that seems to be the big thing. I mean, that changeup is really, it's a game changer for him. It is, especially when paired with that four-seamer and uh, yeah, throwing him in the because, same tunnel. Yeah, because even that looked good, too. I mean, he's getting a few strikeouts on that fastball, too. I mean, it looks like it's a little faster this year. Um, and, you know, it's very promising. I mean, considering where he was last year to be able to bounce back and, and do what he's doing, uh, I'm very encouraged by it. Um, with the White Sox, it's, it's, they're, it's very strange. Um, the, so they're 18 and 15 in their last 30, 33 games. They're 20 and 5 in games where they score four or more runs. <laughs> and to me, that's just, it's crazy. They're one of only eight teams with an 800 winning percentage. In games they score four plus runs, and all the other teams seem to have something in common: Astros, Indians, Yankees, Phillies, Dodgers, Rays, Twins. Wow, that, that's that, those are the best teams in baseball. A lot of them. And, yeah, I mean, the Indians are quite, aren't quite what they were, but I mean, if you take a look overall, that that's a list of teams that are really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the problem is the fact that they're one eighteen, one in eighteen in games where they score three or fewer, <laughs> and. Only the Rangers, who are 0-11, have a worse record in those games. It's just, there's a, they, have, they squeak through a lot. They win a lot of close games, but they get blown out a lot. And that problem is particularly a big deal at home. At home, they have, they're 11-12 at home. They're 10-11 on the road. One game under 500 to each. But they have a plus-17 run differential on the road and a minus-51 at home. Wow. They have, they have lost by five or more runs nine times at home this year. They've lost by 13, 9, 8, 8, and 7 three times. So 
So they've lost by five, uh, seven or more runs seven times at home. You need to find a way to curb those blowouts at home. Um, it's just a, it's an anomaly, really. But I think it's something that they're going to have to figure out, like, all right, what plays best at our ballpark, mm-hmm. maybe in terms of pitching. And I know it's, it's a work in progress, especially with all the injuries. But, I mean, that's something yeah, it's a no, it's a notoriously homer friendly ballpark is is guaranteed rate, and they used to they used to pitch it to counter that, throwing a lot of sinking stuff, a lot of low stuff. Don Cooper loves the cut fastball, as we know, but now you've got some guys doing it uh, doing it a different way. Uh, that's 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 amazing. A minus fifty plus run differential at home. Um, all right, let's flip sides of town. What do you got on the Cubs this week, Chris? All right, so the Cubs, I mean, so why do I think the Cubs can continue to be good this year and be a force in the National League? It's their offense. And if you take a look at back in 2016, I mean, you draw parallels. It's, you know, it's kind of weird to do that. Um, but let's, let's do it for a second. I think they have staying power because they have four guys that are kind of MVP caliber this year. Or maybe not MVP, but, but strong all-star caliber. Uh, Rizzo, Bryant, Contreras, and Baez. Whereas they had Rizzo and Bryant in 2016, for the most part, and maybe two of the three decks to follow. But if you take a look at 19 qualified players this year with a 150 weighted runs created plus or better, and a reminder, weighted runs created plus, park and league adjusted on a scale of 100 is league average. So everything, any point above 100 is one point above league average. Say 152, like Baez, is 52% above league average. It's good because you could take a look at year to year because it adjusts for era, it adjusts for league, and it adjusts for park. So it's a really good stat that takes into account of all of offense. So it weights everything that you could do as an offensive player. Hmm. And puts it on a number scale where 100 is league average. It's a good number. Um, the Cubs have three of the 19 qualified players this year with a 150 plus, 150 or better weighted runs created plus, led by Wilson Contreras at 173, Chris Bryant at 155. And I don't think he, he was anywhere near 155 last time we spoke. Nope. But he has been that good. And Baez at 152. And I think the pitching is going to be good enough. Um, but with with added offensive contributors, you're going to get occasional something else here and there from Elmore. You get something from Schwarber. They're going to chip in here and there, but you got four guys that I think are your heart of the team. And I don't know that many other teams that have four players that are that good. Uh, and why do I think the pitching is going to be okay? Well, take a look at what they've been able to do. And they just finished a 30-game stretch from April 8th to May 14th where they posted a 2-2-9 team ERA. That's a better 30-game stretch than anything they did in 2016. And that 2016 pitching staff was historic. So, and it's just, you know, they took their lumps at the beginning of the season, just as that 2016 team took their lumps right before the All-Star break. Yeah, there was just that one stretch before the All-Star break. But uh, this is great stuff, Chris. I got to roll because we're up against the clock. But that's great stuff. The starting staff with an ERA that low over the course of uh, more than a calendar month and the four dominant offensive players in the middle of the lineup, that might be enough uh, considering you just get a little bit of help from some other guys. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you next week.
All right. Thanks, Matt. You got it. That's Chris Kamka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. It is hit and run. We're late to break, and we'll come back, and uh, my guest co-host is Bob Vorwald. Keep it right here on 670 The Score.